We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. Today is Saturday, September 5th, 2015, and welcome to The Truth Perspective, everyone. I'm your host, Elon Martin. With me in the studio today are SOT editors Shane Lachance. Hi, everybody. And Gina. Hi, everyone. So we've got a bunch of stories that have been on our minds lately, uh, stories that speak to the reality of this planet we're living on at this time, that uh, that seem to be making their way uh, outside of the normal news that gets kind of ignored and uh, and bypassed in favor of uh, selfies and and uh, meaningless social media to uh, to people's hearts. Um, one of them that uh, struck us quite recently was the story of the Syrian boy whose body was found uh, drowned on the shores of uh, Turkey. Um, It speaks to the immigration crisis that Europe is uh, confronted with as a blowback of all the destructive policies and wars that have been uh, instituted against countries in the Middle East and other places. Um, And... I think what's particularly uh, interesting about this is that just seeing the picture of the boy on the shore, uh, two-year-old boy, you know, prone uh, in an outfit that you would see in on any child in any Western country, um, his life taken away from him in an effort to uh, for his family to flee the destruction of ISIS of Syria, um, it's really hit home in, uh, in quite a big way among many. And, uh, it's very sad that the tragedy of many thousands and millions of people who are trying to flee these destructive war zones has to be brought into consciousness with, with, uh, the pictures of, uh, of, of such a tragic loss. But, um, you know, you can only hope that, uh, in, in its consciousness raising, um, there's some good that may come out of it. Yeah, that was um, really a, a horrific image, and you know, um, a lot of the you know there was a criticism against that image. I think because it was so popular, and it's because it did strike a chord in so many people that you know that people were saying you know the major newspapers shouldn't be publishing. Uh, you know, such an image, but, you know, really it's the crime that that's happening, you know, on an ongoing basis. That's, you know, these, these children are dying like every day. Um, this wasn't the first image to, to, um, to be taken of a dead child on a shore. And, you know, it's been happening on, you know, a pretty regular basis. 
And you know, some have compared this image to uh, the one in uh, Vietnam uh, where the girl's running from her village uh, that was just napalmed and uh, you know the, the children are all uh, burned and, and wounded. And um, that image also really struck a chord for people in, in bringing into uh, you know the public mind what was really happening uh, in Vietnam. And images like this has they have the potential you know to do that. Um, but then you know you have uh, these politicians coming in and saying you know really obscene, just disgusting things. Um, uh, Cameron uh, in the UK, he you know he just recently came out and uh, he was you know, he's basically blaming uh, the Syrian president um, Assad, saying you know he's he's basically he's responsible for what's going on, and also uh, he he also said ISIS too, but you know he's putting Assad in this when Assad is trying to do everything it can. Uh, to uh, to get rid of the Islamic State, you know this monster that was created, you know, by the United States. Um, Cameron, one of the things that you said that was just disgusting was that he was deeply moved. Now, why, why do I say that's disgusting? Because he has no capacity to be deeply moved. You know, there's nothing inside him to move. Um, you know, he doesn't show any kind of heart on this on this subject, or you know, and when it relates to humanity in general. Um, you know, there's no understanding of the severe human crisis that that's going on, and uh, for him, you know, it's it just a way to politicize and and say, um, you know, that we need to take comprehensive measures uh, against Syria, and which basically amounts to more war. Um, well, he's, he's actually referred to the migrants as a swarm. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, uh, you you refer to locusts as a swarm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you refer to uh, you know rabid animals as a swarm. Uh, you don't refer to people who are desperately looking for um, the basic necessities of human life uh, on this planet when when they're living through these these you know war torn regions as a swarm. Um, you know, it's just like one of those little hints of of where this guy is psychologically. Uh, he he's um, you know, there's like you said, Shane, there's no real humanity or heart to the guy. Um, and in counterpoint to this, it was interesting to to hear uh, Putin uh, respond to um, you know this blame that's being shifted on Assad. Uh, who is exercising every ounce of his resources to uh, fight off ISIS and the U.S. military that's dropping bombs on you know the infrastructure of Syria and causing quote unquote collateral damage, i.e., killing innocent uh, Syrians. Um, basically, Putin said that you know of course we know that there are different approaches to Syria. By the way, people are running away not from the regime of Bashar Assad, but from the Islamic State, which seized large areas in Syria and Iraq and are committing atrocities there. 
that is what they are escaping from. So, you know, it it takes uh, it takes a Putin to come out and state the blatantly obvious and truthful uh, fact of the matter, which is that uh, this isn't Assad's fault. Uh, this is ISIS, which, as we know, is mm-hmm. the Western proxy military that's kind of been designed and constructed and financed to destroy Syria and other regions. And it really goes back, you know, it, this this isn't just, um, you know, uh, the result of uh, ISIS's actions over the past year or so. You know, this is going back to Libya, uh, the destruction of Libya. I mean, what Gaddafi was doing in, in trying to, you know, unite uh, or create a united Africa, you know, and that had if he if he would have have been not murdered and he would have lived and uh, made the same achievements that he made in his own country uh, for other countries in Africa, we wouldn't be seeing what's going on today. You know, that that, that this, um, but that's why he wasn't allowed to live. Exactly. Yeah. Um, he wasn't allowed to live, um, and and part of his Achilles' heel, if you will, was that in spite of the West uh, vilifying him for so long, blaming blaming him on the Lockerbie uh, flight uh, destruction, for instance, um, there was still a certain amount of um, trust that he had mm-hmm. uh, and goodwill. Uh, you know, Libya's military wasn't this, you know, it, it wasn't armed in the te- to the teeth in the sense that many other Middle Eastern militaries are. Um, and he he just didn't know what he was up against in a certain sense. And that's another theme that we'll be talking about today when we get into our show's theme. Yeah, it's, uh, um, I think, yeah, that was that was a, a major point where... Yeah, he didn't have. He 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 believed the narrative that that the West was telling him that you know um, we'll take care of you basically, and you know don't build up your military. And even Putin at the time, you know, accepted um, the the Western narrative to an extent. And he he's he has said you know, that that was the turning point for him when he really realized the um, the deep uh, in not quoting here, but basically understanding the the pathological nature of of the West, and um, you know it was just a, a huge tragedy tragedy that you know we're we're still seeing we're seeing the results of now, and you know I think that's um, you know Europe's part in this yeah. uh, involvement now that um, you know, it's 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 really fascinating. To see, um, oh, hold on one second, please. We have a caller coming in, and um, hello, caller. Yes. Hello, hi. Hi, what's hi, your name? Guys. Where are you calling from? This is Emma from? from New York. Hi. Hi, Emma. And uh, hello, Emma. I was just uh, referring to I uh, heard a show and a couple of shows before about the um, refugees and then the situation in Europe, basically, just like Joe and, and Niall said that uh, a couple of, uh, one, or a month ago, um, it's just based on fear-mongering. And the the problem is that the local people, because I just talked to my mother, she lives in Budapest, and she says, 
she doesn't see those uh, horrible stories what what goes on on sort of uh, websites alternative media probably handled by that far right wing party the yobix you i think you remember those are fascist organizations mm-hmm. and then they're getting very strong in Hungary right now because of this situation they they just saying what the people want to hear and they were beating up actually refugees on uh, uh, one of the major train station in in Budapest and my mother tells me she there was a rumor about uh, the Margaret Island was uh, closed down because of um, refugees and that was not not true. My mother lives right nearby, so she would know that. She says no disruptions, no. It's it's not it's not the people shouldn't see it that way. The people, I understand, they have problems on their own. Hungary has problems with a lot of people starving in there. Basically, they don't have mm-hmm. jobs. And if they get a job, they there's like a sweatshop. They get two cents per hour. You know, it's just another uh, supposed developing country. It's it's I know it's <clears throat> EU country, but and then they see their own problems. And when the refugees are coming, like oh, and what about me? What about me? So what what's happening? They don't see these people are running away from the war, and they are hungry. They need shelter. They need help. Of course, there are people in Hungary. Like I heard, nurses and doctors were uh, after the, their work shift. They they went to the train station and they tried to help, giving food and and water. But uh, the fear mongering and the rumors, what's going on in Hungary right now, and I know people who believe that, is just. Uh, makes them angry that's we have to we have to see there's a <clears throat> lot of angry people coming out right now because of that and it's not it's of course the media manipulation the way the way uh they twisting it and turn it what what they they see is oh they throwing away food they they do mess they do this they do that and they don't understand why, where they are coming from they I'm sorry, it's a little bit long, but I just wanted to tell you guys this first-hand information from my mother who lives in Budapest, and she said she's in tears because people just don't understand. She's a good person, and she's she just don't get it, why people are behaving totally disconnect, you know? That's a shame, because um, I, you know, yes. I kind of have hopes for Hungary at least with their you know they they do have uh some opposition uh against the EU and you know you would hope that some of the media you know would depict this thing but it's not at all surprising you know to hear that you know we that the same type of uh response that we're seeing everywhere else is also going on in Hungary um yeah. I did see I did there was a video of a family who was protesting uh, the trains being stopped in Hungary, um, yeah. and you know it's just, it was just it was so heart wrenching. And yeah. uh, below the comments, when I, when I was looking on YouTube, everybody the most bizarre thing was like that everybody was blaming Putin for this uh, for this crisis. Oh, uh, oh so, my God! So you know, people are yeah, people are are, are pretty um, you know really divided. And, and ignorance. like you said, they're, yeah, the ignorance definitely. I mean, yeah. the the media plays a huge part in that, and 
Um, it, it is just really unfortunate to see everybody, you know, like you said, you know, everybody's struggling uh, to, to survive. And that's also as a consequence of, you know, being in the EU. And, and this refugee crisis is also centered uh, a lot around the EU policies and involvement in NATO. And, um, you know, but it's, I don't know if it's too abstract for for many people to kind of put the dots together, but you know, yeah, I think anybody who, I think so. who really yeah. looks at and they are, yeah, I'm sorry, they are wallowing their own anger and and dissatisfied uh, emotions, so they have to, uh, you know, looking for the black sheep and blaming somebody. Mm-hmm. That that's exactly what I was going to say, Emma. Um, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> No, no, no. That that's good. I mean, it, it's just a it's a classic dynamic that we've seen over and over again in, in many different places. You know, you yeah. uh, you shift um, the blame onto the most defenseless, desperate, vulnerable group of people who are usually immigrants or refugees, yeah. and uh, you, you deflect all of the responsibility of doing the hard work of um, of being a leader, of uh, figuring out how to make things run well for the people who were there, uh, providing social services, a stable economy. Um, and it, it becomes very easy. And it's just a classic uh, uh, kind of a um, tactic on the part of uh, individuals who are in power who yeah. have no they, – they have no real uh, – no real understanding of what it takes to to make a country run well. They're not creative individuals by nature. Uh, yeah. They're destructive, and um, you know it, we've just seen it again and again. Uh, you know when it, I always find it funny to hear people complain about immigrants in the U.S., for instance, because <laughs> the U.S. was made up of immigrants. Exactly, that's what I told the lady in Chicago when she was complaining about immigrants, and I'm an immigrant too. I was born in Hungary, so I felt very uncomfortable, and I told her, I I thought this country built by immigrants. (laughs) Well, she quieted down. So um, I didn't want to insult her feelings. I didn't say, you don't look like a Native American either. (laughs) That would have been the the appropriate response, actually. Right, but I just didn't want it to hurt her feelings or insulting her because I'm an immigrant, <laughs> and I have to think what I'm saying, you know. And she probably and, wouldn't understand that if you did say, you know, you don't look like a right. uh, Native American Indian. Yeah, and we, so. we, should, uh, we should give back the country to Native Americans then. I, that's what I actually wrote to a website. They said the, the right-wing like Donald Trump and the right-wing, very far-right-wing uh, Republican candidates, they want to take away the birthrights from, from immigrants, and then they should go back their own country too, everybody, and give back the country for Native Americans, no? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, well, you know, you, that speaks to the sense of entitlement that, uh, yeah. you know, these dumb white guys uh, have. Um, you know, they're it. There's so much arrogance and uh, and sense of um, position that they've yeah. kind of ac- acquired in their twisted thinking. 
Um, they don't know history. Exactly. They have no appreciation for the hard work of individuals who uh, who, are, who are immigrants who built the country. Um, right. And no, and no empathy for the difficulties of people who are still trying to find a better place to live. Exactly. And one more aspect, what I would, wanted to ask you guys about uh, this situation, because in the beginning, the first uh, wave of, of uh, refugees, there was pictures on the Internet. They were, had the videos. They were throwing stones at uh, so southern Hungary. There basically is a camp and uh, behind bars, so basically barbed wires. They keep these immigrants in there like in a prison. That's one thing, but they tried to uh, do some atrocities and throwing stones for the police, assaulting the police in Hungary. And uh, I was thinking I didn't see children or women. They were all men, and they were kind of fierce-looking. And I was thinking if if uh, some agent provocateurs were sent in there for uh, disrupting everything and then the real immigrants can't get in. Because That's they're gonna possible. make. Yeah, I was thinking I mean, about that. Possible, Maybe I'm wrong, but it's um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to say because you know throwing rocks, you know that that might just be an expression of you know frustration, and you know That's it kind of reminds me of the Palestinian situation too, um, yeah. where where you know that's <sighs> really the what 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 they have to you know show that you know they're they're really suffering and. You know they have to throw a rock like that's you know and it's not it's not, a, it's not a, a horrible thing yet you have uh Netanyahu who just came out and um I think he said just this this past week where uh he made calls that where you know Israel should be able to use lethal force uh against uh, people throwing rocks uh oh so you know God. this is the kind of mentality uh that we're dealing with with these uh with, with these political leaders and and how they view uh, human suffering uh you know that it should be just stomped out basically in in their own minds and that everybody should just comply and um do what they're told basically and and there's no there's no ability for um looking to the future and seeing what the natural consequences of their actions are it's it's just a constant blame of others you know, for their own yeah. for their own behavior. These type I had a of question for you, Emma. Capable. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's okay. I, I I was just wondering if you knew what the the makeup is of uh, of immigrants to Hungary. In in Hungary, uh, they were yeah, uh, mostly from Afghanistan and Syria. That's what I okay. heard. So and and what's happening right now in Yemen, they they gonna they're gonna have to getting ready for more refugees because it's I think the the problem is is basic problem in here they the countries were not uh, ready to to housing them and and they just not ready to taking care of that many people so they should just have some. Um, you know, temporarily shelter and then something, something else. So, I, the 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 mistake is is basically, of course, those irresponsible politicians. What's coming out from their mouth is despicable in in, in any way. So, 
I mean, the Hungarian prime minister is not exem- exceptional because he said that too. We are not. Inv- we didn't invited you. You 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 can't come in here. So it's it's upsetting. Well, it it's very upsetting, and uh, you didn't speak too long, Emma. <laughs> I, we really appreciate oh, the call. Sure. No, no, Thank you so much, guys. And have Thank a you. wonderful we're, we're show, gonna... and I'm listening. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to take another call right now. Thanks again. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, hello, hello, caller. Hello, yes. yes. Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. Jonathan. How you doing? Tampa Bay area. Yeah, I'm doing very well. Um, I think that some of my own personal experience um, can uh, bring to light um, some of these uh, the complexities of this issue. Um, I share, um, I think, Harrison's view about his disdain for uh, the uh, immigrant bashing and with the racist, the racist overtones, and um, I share that. Um, I have been in in the uh in the construction industry here in Florida for like 25 years or more actually about almost 30 years. So I've been a worker and I have been an employer in that context and I've had a small business. So uh I'll just tell you how it works here from what I've seen um for 30 years um I've watched the uh I watched the the NAFTA come in with with Clinton and the liberal, right? And mm-hmm. um, so what what happens from what I've seen, I've, and I've been to Central America, so they they fund death squads in uh, to prop up uh, oligarch governments in 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 um, Central America, and also repressive governments in um, in southern uh, Mexico and. When NAFTA came in, it floods these areas with uh, cheating, um, mass-produced corn. And then the uh, indigenous populations that were doing this farming by hand, they can't produce the beans and the corn as cheap as uh, what's flooded onto the market. So these people are in desperate straits. They can't develop their economies down there to where they can develop domestic businesses and have any kind of standard of living and any semblance of democracy. So um, these people are starving. So their kids come up here, they flood into the United States. So this has been, I've been watching this happen over a period of 25 years. I see these dynamics from different, different perspectives, but it's a slow motion machine. So then at the same time as NAFTA comes in, uh, the United States, uh, the industry starts shipping to places like, you know, Asia and Mexico. So the the good jobs that were here, where you had benefits, vacation time, you know, you can make fifty grand a year, support a family, and have a house. That disappears, and then at the, as that disappears, they're flooding the United States, you know, through their calculated policies of, of supporting re- repression south of the United States proper. They flood in desperate workers, and these people fill the construction industry. And what happens in in the construction industry puts downward pressure on wages. So as this happens, like slowly per slowly, 
um, younger people that are coming into the workforce that are from the United States, white, black, Puerto Rican, you know, people that are here illegally, quote, unquote, um, they look at the prospects in these industries and they see no benefits. They see uh, $10 an hour wages. And, um, you know, it's very, very brutal working conditions with, with uh, very little opportunity to move up unless you get into a bigger construction company that does mass highway projects and all of that, then you can have a position where you, you're getting paid better. So um, I do work that um, – I do work here on 51. I do work here that the Guatemalan and the Mexicans um, refuse to do or won't do. And specifically, I, I am – I go into swampy areas like lakefronts that are just snakes, there's gators, and we clean these out. You know, we take everything out, so they build houses. Rich people build houses in these areas. So they denude all this area, this wetland area, and, um, you know, I get bit by spiders, you know, more than once where I've had to be in bed. Um, I've hurt myself. There's, so the people I hire, they don't even have, uh, we don't even have, like, insurance to where if they get hurt, you know, um, they just go to an emergency room. So it, it's, um, and I have to compete with other people that are um, super exploiting their workers. And I try to be a good guy, and I I hire, you know, I don't hire um, undocumented people, not because I'm racist, but what from from my experience, when if I hire these people, I'm showing the other people that would hire me that, hey, I'm corrupt. I'm willing to break these environmental rules. I'll just do it dirt cheap. You know, so it's all about everybody getting things done as cheap as possible and, and you being corrupt. So I refuse to do that, um, you know, for many years. And as a result, you know, I have to go in and do the labor myself with my my guys. And then what happens is I get out I get outbid. I mean, in other words, people undercut me that super exploit their workers. And then I'm left right now. I've got my Cuban helper, and I've got me, and um, I'm barely staying alive. So I got so disgusted that in 2013, I became a whistleblower. And um, I exposed that they they do not do enforcement of environmental regulations. There's not the required replanting and restoration. And uh, people fill in with sand, which is, for, I mean, all of these rules are being broken. And it's unheard of that somebody in my position would become a whistleblower. So when I exposed uh, Orange County, Florida, that they're not they're not enforcing the the basic regulations on the books. So what happens to me? I lose my corporate accounts that I had. I went down from having five other people and myself to just me and a helper. I'm barely keeping alive right now, and um, I expose just massive um, environmental corruption where the county is helping the Osceola County, the home of Disney helps people fill in the, the wetlands that they destroyed illegally, and then they make buildings on it so they can collect tax revenue. Um, the county promotes the destruction and abets it. The state looks the other way. There's falsification mm-hmm. flat surveys. So anyway, long story short, um, I'm watching all of this happen, and um, we have a um, huge amount of un- undocumented people um, doing labor here. But I don't hate them. Um, I I like them. They're good people. But we have also a domestic workforce of younger people 
that that, that see no like chance for advancement, you know, doing work in the construction industries for such low wages, and they um, they, they 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 kind of refuse to do the work. And it's not Jonathan. I'm going to interrupt wanna... you for a second. Oh, go ahead. Because I, I want to ask you something. You, you're you've um, you've mentioned this uh, compelling story before. And um, what, what I wanted to ask you is, um, so you basically decided that you were going to expose uh, Orange County's, you know, policies uh, or looking the other way. What did you do? Did you did you write them? Did you write the newspaper? What, no. what happened there? No, I, I called. I called. I had been in fairly good because I have to fill out permits. You know, I, I've had to deal with getting permits through this entity, so I called a meeting. You know, in front of their their board, and I called a meeting. Was um, so it was a, a day in in January, and I called a meeting, and I didn't tell them before that I wanted to expose this, but I called a meeting to present some of my ideas for stormwater retention areas and so forth. So, as I started the my I, when I was allowed to speak, I start going off and and just telling them, and I recorded it. I'm like, look, you know, this is what I exposed in Osceola County. You know, the state didn't enforce, and I went, and then I also listed my uh, grievances with Orange County. So I've got all these 15 bureaus in the uh, Environmental Protection Agency there in this room, and I'm there, and I've got this. Uh, the reaction was just, it was chilling. It was like they just never experienced this before, and so. Anyway, you know, I recorded it. I thank them, you know. But after that, I'm persona non grata. So I lose my corporate account. I lose my corporate accounts. And then um, as I start sliding downhill, um, I noticed that I got no help from the Sierra Club, from any environmental organization that I tr I brought this before. Nobody, nobody would help me. And I brought this to uh, Representative Alan Grayson, who's our representative here. He's supposed to be a liberal. And I thought they were going to help me. And uh, I brought it before Orlando Sentinel and just on and on and on. I had I had violence, people following me, where um, I at one point I fled to New Orleans. I contacted another environmental group that, that um, is supposed to be, you know, helping people like me expose some of these travesties with respect to our environmental laws and wetlands. No help whatsoever. And the whole thing was blacked out. I had my property destroyed, my mail stolen. And um, I was basically, you know, so basically um, nobody wanted to hear what I had to say, you know, pointing this out. I got no coverage at all. I'm not trying to, like, drama, be a drama person and, and you know, just suck that up for money. No, I'm just disgusted with the lack of enforcement. But back to the, the condition of labor here. Um I listen on these radio programs that are supposed to be for, like, progressive left type, right? And I listen to these programs like Democracy Now! and all that for years. And one thing that I, I recognize is that um, they will stick up for um, people that are here undocumented and the violence perpetrated against them, which I don't disagree with. I don't at all. But... There's the, a whole group of people that listen to that, and they're like, wow, you know, they're, they're white, generally white males that are from poor families in the South. They listen to this, and they're like, wow. 
these people don't even give a crap about me, you know. And um, so that creates resentment, you know, against the uh, progressive liberals. And um, and so I'm I'm close to a lot of these uh, the poor white people from the south. You know, I'm close to them. I deal with them. They're, I'm in their social class, and um, most of them really aren't like hater types. You know, they're not they're not trying to foment violence. So if um, the problem is is one where you don't see how anything that you could do could ever be effective to change anything. So you just kind of hunker down and you get by day to day. You don't get involved in any politics um, because the people that are supposed to be, you know, caring about whistleblowers, I called up, I called up the people that represented uh, Glenn Greenwald, Glenn Greenwald. Um, and I came out as a whistleblower before the whole uh, Snowden thing blew up. I called these people up, and I got no help whatsoever. And um, it was just amazing. So I've been almost crushed. And um, so basically, I'm watching everything happen in slow motion. And then Trump comes on the scene. He's stoking up anger against immigrants. But um, this situation with undocumented workers here is very, very complex. And it's been there's a slow motion process going on through outsourcing, um, offshoring uh, good manufacturing jobs, and then and then um, supporting, you know, not allowing democracy to flourish in hyper exploitive conditions in Central America where people flee here just so they can send their money back to people. Their people can survive. I mean, I'm watching. Jonathan, that happen, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you again. Ahead. Jonathan, I'm, I'm going to interrupt again. Um, there. Are, a few more stories that we'll need to get to, but I did want to say uh, I would just like to acknowledge you for um, a few things. One is you're not just looking at this from how it affects you personally, but you have probably uh, one of the most, it sounds like to me, uh, one of the most kind of um, more objective uh, points of view of of how things work. You've acted uh US policy, uh policy like NAFTA and now we're seeing uh T I P P or or whatever that policy is they're trying to push forward. All all of those sorts of things have, have affected you deeply on a on a personal level and and, and you have kind of uh made a, a sand uh, I think it shows a lot of integrity on your part. And um, I don't know if, uh, you know, like Glenn Greenwald's group, I don't know if it, it's for a lot of resources uh, or um, just choosing their battles carefully. Uh, but that's to me like, you know, having reached out to all of these um, various organizations within government and outside of government, and to have received so little support, I mean, it, it just speaks to uh, a much larger systemic issue of corruption. And um, and actually, we're going to be discussing uh, this dynamic as it affects people personally. So, your call is is really appreciated and yeah. kind of a and, and, kind of a living I, example I, of of how a lot of yeah, this works yeah. and and how individuals like yourself, um, you know, the, the struggle. Uh, and the choices that that individuals face as as they're trying to make their way through 
just making an honest living, among other things. Yeah, and and I just wanted to say this real quick. Um, I'm writing about my experiences, and um, and the book I'm writing is there's a there's a lot more that's happened in my life that's going to make this a very a very compelling read. I hope, but I would say this. Um, I've been doing research this week about Glenn Greenwald and the group that he's with, uh, First Look Media, and it's owned by uh, uh, Pierre or, or Media. And um, you know what? What really struck me is that uh, there's a guy named Jeremy Scahill, and he was connected with Democracy Now! So anyway, long story short, I'm noticing a dearth and absence of coverage of this Ukraine situation. From Greenwald and his group, right? Um, it turns out P- Pierre or Media, uh, I'm probably pronouncing the last name wrong. He co-sponsored. This is before the coup in Ukraine. He co-sponsored along with the United States government millions of dollars into these groups that fomented uh, violence and uh, disruption as part of the color revolution. So now that Glenn Greenwald is in this venture. And uh, so moneyed, uh, moneyed up by uh, Pierre or Medium, um, is it any wonder that we get so little coverage from Greenwald's organization about what's going on right now in Ukraine? I mean, it's it's wild. And um, our our progressive liberal alternative media has been like abominable to really critically looking at a lot of these issues that are unfolding. So um, I, we're in a very difficult spot here. People that would like to do the right thing would like to see a better politics in this country. You know, more people involvement and all that. But man, we, we are—we have this, our asses have been kicked. So I'm going to be writing about this and hopefully. Hey, thank you all, and I look forward to listening to hey, the rest of your Yeah, program. thank you, Jonathan. Appreciate your call. And right, yeah, thanks bye-bye. for sharing. Good to hear from you, Jonathan. Um. I did want to touch on one thing you kind of mentioned, Elon, which was, you know, the people need to um, really connect um, the events that are going on that are of a global nature, you know, with their own personal lives. And, you know, that, I think that that's, that's often lacking, particularly in um, Western societies and even more particularly in, in the United States. Um you know, we don't really associate uh, the bad things that happen to us mm-hmm. with the bad things that our government are, is doing. You know, it's a uh, it's it's just a more of a reactionary thing uh, that that uh, that occurs. And <coughs> excuse me. So, for example, um, Jonathan brought up the example of uh, you know a young poor white guy who you know can't get a job and blaming it on on the immigrants cuz you know they're willing to take lower wages and that it's more you know it's out of their frustration um and you know it's not it's not immigrants fault of course it's it's the policies and it's just the destructive nature of of our government that that's really you know to blame if if the economy was as great as they say it is you know, would, would people uh, be having such trouble finding jobs? Would would it be such an issue that um, migrants come here and and, and need jobs as well? You know, that should be there. Is this uh, people feel you know things aren't as stable and reliable 
but you know, I don't I don't know how conscious that is, and I don't know that it's really connected to um, you know being able to see you know a larger picture. Um, but you know, that, I think that also you know kind of ties into the general theme of the show, um, which we'll you know dig into. Uh, in a bit, which is being able to uh, protect your mind and uh, learn to build some immunity against the, you know, these these pathological systems and and people, and you know that that's just it's we're so enmeshed in it, we're so like deep into it mm-hmm. um, that you know we really don't, uh, as a country, we really don't see anything outside of that. Um, I did want to get back to. Uh, some of the the political theater around uh, what was going on in the, the um, particularly this regarding this uh, Syrian boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, when I was speaking about Cameron, um, one of the things that you know really irked me was how he was saying Britain's such a moral nation, and you know we we um, we live up to our responsibilities of taking care of uh, other countries that are in need. And, I mean, it, it's it's such a blatant lie and such a twist and such a distortion of reality. Um, you know, the – you well, you know, we give 0.7% uh, of our economy uh, to, to these countries in need. Well, you know, the British economy wouldn't exist at all if it wasn't – you know, usurping and, and taking all the resources of these countries that that they're supposedly you know giving aid to. That's just it's just disgusting, you know, to to think that you're you know it's just like giving breadcrumbs uh, after you steal a cake to you know uh, the person you stole it from. It's 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 really galling, um, and and then to use that to launch into even more. Uh, of a uh, imperialistic agenda you know it's it's um uh it's it's just disgusting and he's not the only one um there is also uh harper he he was in the news pretty much you know saying the same thing he's uh there was a video of him and he was apparently um you know talking about his the emotional experience he had uh in seeing um you know this uh refugee baby on the shore and you know it's just complete baloney um steven steven we're going to have to do a a press conference and what we'd like you to say is that you know because everybody's in an uproar about this dead syrian child uh we'd like you to come and just say that it affected you so that people know um people think that uh you're a real person and have feelings for people. We need to maintain that image and, and uh, give that impression. It's very important. Uh, so we've, we've got a few lines for you. And, um, and you know, because folks are beginning to think you're, you know, give a shit. Um, so here's your script and, uh, and just tell people you cried. Well, and as a part of that, you know, make sure that you tie in any kind of military engagement you can, you know, because slip that in, you know, because people they'll be they'll be in that receptive mode because you know you're 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 kind of making you know their humanity, so you, know, you can you can put that right in there. You know, we also need to step up our military game. 
and you know, never mind that you know, it doesn't have like that you know that contributes to this refugee crisis. You know, people don't won't recognize that. You know, and, yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, you know <laughs> may very well how things could have went down, and it's 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 just disgusting to see these these uh, creatures acting like human beings uh, when you know everything that they do is uh, the opposite. You know, I was in a, a public place the other day, uh, which is probably the only place I would watch uh, public news. CNN, it was. And they had a um, a soundbite of George Bush at the 10th anniversary of uh, the Katrina hurricane disaster, kind of talking uh, about uh, Katrina's rebuilding. And he also said that, uh, you know, he was acknowledging the federal government's ability to step in and, and help at the time. And um, for those of you who don't recall, it took several days uh, of the federal government and uh, any relief group to get their act together, even with the Red Cross off the shore of uh, of Louisiana um, prepared to help. Uh, they were refusing to permit people um, in the worst struck areas of the floods to cross an interstate or, or a, a kind of an overpass to get to where uh, um, hospital services and food were. Anyway, I was listening to him, and um, of course, you know, I, I, I'm like, I, I shake a little bit, and I, you know, I'm, I'm ready to yell out in the public place, you, you know, you liar, you know, and and you're you're saying these things to put yourself in, in this position of of, you know, someone who's respectable and responsible, and um, and I was quite relieved. Uh, a few moments after to hear the, the news commentator say there were some people who felt that the government did a, an awful job of responding to the event. Um, it was the biggest news of the whole disaster. It was how these people were left uh, basically to their own devices, being abused and murdered by local police, uh, being refused assistance in all manner of ways, um, and uh, you know were, there were reporters uh, at the scene for Fox News of all places, Shepard Smith and Geraldo Rivera, who were who you, you you do realize have an ounce of humanity in them because they were responding emotionally to the situation. They were emphatic about the fact that these people were literally trapped. Yeah, that was actually pretty remarkable to see. I, I think it might have been uh, may have both of them who basically broke down on camera. And were like you know practically in tears um, over the situation, and you know just like that, it, it was remarkable because you know these these guys uh, are major tools yep. uh, manipulation in general. Um, but um, you don't you don't see much of that. Uh, uh, you haven't seen much of that lately, right? I mean, right. And and the reason is, you know, and and this argument comes up now and again, you know, should journalism be this dry, you know, quote unquote objective exercise and reportage, uh, or, you know, do you uh, include some inform emotional information, uh, information that's informed by your 
sense of justice, your humanity, your um, your moral outrage, your moral outrage, um, and uh, and that's and that's pretty much, you know, it, it seems there is no moral outrage. It's been uh, it's unprofessional. It's inappropriate. It's subjective. It's uh, non pathological. It's human. The um, the Katrina example that you just gave, you know, it, some have said that it was uh, you know an early experiment and um, you know on like a social experiment on people uh, in chaos, and you know you could see that when the the people who were trying to survive, you know, they were they were now looters. You know, they were they were they were doing they they were just trying to live, and it gets turned around as though they're thieves. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, they were even called refugees at one point. And uh, there have been some musical artists uh, who've who've sung about it. How can how can you call me a refugee where I've been born? Uh, you know, I I you know the correct. Uh, designation would be a victim of this psychopathic, uh, batshit crazy government that sees me as a useless eater. Mm-hmm. Well, that topic um, kind of ties in with another one we wanted to chat about, which was the um, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matters uh, movement, and there's been. Um, some recent items in the in the news that you know we've talked about on the show about how you know this movement in itself looks like it could be going in the direction you know of a, a color revolution. Um, you know, it has the all the players involved, like you know, George Soros, fund, you know, funds and investing millions and millions of dollars into it, and actually people on camera being shown that they're being paid uh, to protest, but um, there is another there is another news story. Um, well, yeah, there's this uh, there's this kind of strain of of uh, militants that that now seems to be uh, apparent in some of the demonstrations um, that Black Lives Matter is responsible for. And I think we have a clip of uh, one demonstration. Listen carefully to some of the words that they're using. So this is a protest, I believe, in Minnesota. Uh, they're basically march in the in the street, and this is a short clip uh, showing um, basically what they're what they're saying. Yeah, takes a disturbing turn. This from Minnesota. Watch. Marching at the state fair, chanting horrific uh, things. Pigs in a blanket, prime like bacon, they're saying. Casey Siegel's live in Houston where the... Okay. So... Um, what they were saying was pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. And this is this came shortly after there was a shooting in Houston uh, of a, a white cop. He was at a gas station, and uh, he's filling up, and he's off duty. And 
A uh, man came up and behind him and shot him multiple times. A uh, guy fell to the ground and shot him more times. He was shot like 15 times in total. And uh, the man arrested was uh, was a black man. And this is um, so this this reference to pigs in a blanket, fry him like bacon. Uh, it sounds you know more like a kind of a violent. Um, um, demonstration toward like or suggestive of uh, put the put the pigs down more or less. Yeah, and, and for those listeners who are uh not from the US, uh pigs are a, a term used to drug police. Uh so pigs in a blanket, frying like bacon, um it's very um violent, uh aggressive, uh, militant um reaction to um, the police state and uh and the the actions many police against blacks in this country um which we've discussed here on the truth perspective previously um, unfortunately uh it's exactly this type of response uh and let's just say i mean people should be in an uproar Mm-hmm. I mean, exactly. th- this is—it's egregious. It is uh, the, the, the numbers of of black individuals and and white individuals who are being uh, abused, uh, murdered um, by the police state in the U.S. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. It's a phenomena that that started after 9/11, all building, and um, and it's a kind of fever pitch that's hard to deny. At the same time, um, this reaction can do nothing but exacerbate tensions. It's not constructive. Um, you have to wonder if, you know, you were saying a moment ago, Shane, that Black Lives Matter is a George, basically a George Soros operation. Um, well, yeah, the thing is, like this, like you said, the anger is justified. It's it is outrageous. People should be outraged. Um, it's 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 just it's appalling to see you know what's going on on a daily basis, uh, cops killing people, and but it's when this, this anger is usurped, used against people, that's that's what that's what that's also outrageous, and that's what's happening. Um, you know, it, it's 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 being used against us. When it could be applied uh, to, you know, find solutions and figure things out, and you know, and and try to, yeah, try to figure out the truth of the matter, and direct that anger accordingly. Yeah. So, you know, and that's a difficult task, no doubt, especially if you don't have guys like, you know, Martin Luther King or or Malcolm X or or even uh, even social leaders who are kind of brave enough and constructive enough to try and create a dialogue. And then the next question would be, who do you create a dialogue with? Uh, you know, that Black Lives Matter had a meeting with our president, Barack Obama, um, says more to me about how manipulative Obama is, and, and also, by the way, in the pocket of George Soros and a puppet of George Soros. You know, there's no, there's very little that that probably will be done. Uh, the only kind of sure thing in this matter is that 
the violence will escalate if you have people being so reactive. Uh, and on that note, we have a, another soundbite uh, by an individual who, um, who has a show on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, I don't have his name, <clears throat> unfortunately, but um, he's even more crass and aggressive about his, uh, you know, kill Whitey sentiment than these folks, I think. And, and he has a little bit of a diatribe. We're going to play a bit of it here. King Noble, Black Supremacy. And I want to talk about the shooting of the white deputy sheriff in Houston, Texas. Reminds me of a Bob Marley song, I Shot the Sheriff. Very interesting. To me, what the Houston, Texas brutal execution before the public represents to me is its open season on killing whites and white police officers and probably killing cops, period. It's open season. And then you just had straight out of company come out with this fuck the police and this revisitation of this rebellious energy towards the police department and the police. So now you got some black militant or some angry black man walks up and executes a cracker cop in broad daylight. This is real. It's open season on killing white people and cops. It's unavoidable, inescapable. It's funny that now we'll move into a time where a predator will become the prey. Yes, they said there will be a race war and that we cannot win a race war. We can't win. We're outnumbered. They got weapons, they got drones, they got this, they got that. But I remind you of the buffaloes who outnumber the lions. They're bigger than lions. And they move in larger herds. But they're picked off by lions one by one by one. Picking them off. Today we live in a time where the white man will be picked off. And there's nothing he can do about it. His day is up. His time is up. We will witness more executions and killing of white people and cops than we ever had before. We see with the Houston, Texas shooting, and we see with the news reporting shooting in Virginia. It's about to go down. It's open season on killing white people and crackers. The Black Lives Matter movement wasn't enough. We tried to appeal to them to let them know that this type of thing would come, it would happen. They thought they were indestructible and invincible because they took advantage of the weakness of black people for too long with all this police brutality. And now they've got black men out there that just can't take it anymore. And they're willing to act out. And they're willing to get you when you least expect it. Come at you when you're not thinking about it. It's not safe no more to be white in America. Lurking behind any corner could be an angry black man ready to take your ass out. It's a reality. It's open season on killing whites and police. And they better make some serious, serious changes, social changes at this point. Because it ain't looking good. 
and they're going to get embarrassed because just when they try to make themselves look invincible and untouchable and we got this under control, clearly there's some black people out here that's about to show you that you might not just have it like that. It's King Noble Black Supremacy. Join my website, www.kingnobleblackrulership.com. Well, you know, it's exactly that type of thing.
Uh, we've talked about the many destabilizing events that are likely to happen in, in the next how many months, uh, especially in the U.S., but also in other places around the world, uh, and how those events are likely to exacerbate uh, the pathology of uh, individuals who are already there in terms of being psychopathic or um, or just push people over a certain edge of behavior that they might not otherwise be uh, used to engaging in uh, out of desperation and out of uh, a kind of a primal sense of uh, survival uh, at the expense of others. Um, so uh, circumstances are going to be really difficult for quite a number of people, especially those who aren't prepared, and that's going to be most people. And uh, most people also don't have any kind of thorough knowledge of pathological behavior. It's science, how to recognize it, how to counteract it. Uh, you know, we're all still learning uh, what what these signs are and, and what an appropriate response uh, would be to certain things. Um, uh, there's also the idea that uh, people who might otherwise uh, not follow authoritarian types might begin to follow people who have, you know, as Shane intimated earlier, you know, you have some people who are listening to this uh, to this uh, guy's rant and and may feel emboldened and empowered to uh, to follow suit. Um, and that's going to happen in all sorts of different ways, following all sorts of different uh uh, groups of people and individuals who who sound like they have the answer uh, amongst all the chaos that's going to occur. Um, so those are some of the types of things we, we want to talk about. And um, it's, uh, you know, we call it a psychopathic virus. Uh, it's going to manifest in all sorts of different ways that we have to be sensitive to and, and uh, cognitive of. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Fernando Farfall Aguirre's uh, descriptions of, of how some people would prepare for these types of situations. Um, I don't recall if he said it on our show when he was a guest or in one of his articles or books, but he said that the way that some people are going to prepare for this breakdown, because uh, even pathological types can, can see certain things coming, is to arm themselves to the teeth and uh, basically take uh, from people who have uh, by, by force of arms and violence. Uh, and that's something we, we want to be aware of and, and think about as well. Um, reminds me a little bit of uh, the story of The Road, uh, the book by Cormac McCarthy. And how individuals uh, in the book form these groups who literally cannibalize uh, the most weak and defenseless. Uh, so pretty heavy stuff, pretty dire stuff. Um, but on some level, that, that's what we're looking at here. Well, I think uh, I think part of the, the piece of the puzzle is also is looking at basically our our reactionary responses uh, to large crisis events, um, 
disasters, uh, you know, whether they're man-made or or natural, uh, we all have these defense mechanisms that are that are built in, and those kind of govern our ability to uh, to respond to you know, an event. Now, we we've talked a handful of times about anger uh, during the show today, and you know, it's it's a common thing that this is this is used against us, like like we were saying earlier. And you know this this anger uh, that that in itself can be uh, a, a defense mechanism, um, and it, it can these 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 things can be used in uh, for good or for or for uh, evil, and it's um it, it's how we respond to it and how we if we can sublimate uh, these these emotions. Uh, if um, last week, um, Elon, you brought up the uh, the seven stages of uh, grief or seven stages of um, uh, when in response yes. like, how people respond uh, to, to death and um, and you know the denial is is, is often is often used um, you know that's that's basically it's your refusal to accept reality uh, or, you know, a, a painful thought. Um, and it's, you know, it's a very, uh, primitive defense mechanism. Um, we, and I think like what, what one of the main things in dealing with, uh, a pathological reality or pathological people is to work really hard, uh, to see reality and to face it, even if it's, even if it's painful, um, that's that's one of the the toughest things is to admit to ourselves that you know we've been duped, or to admit that somebody's preyed upon us, you know, because that is uh, admitting some vulnerability. But that's also that vulnerability is also what it means to be human, and you know, being able to um, identify your vulnerabilities and acknowledge them. And you know you can feel them, you know, those, and express them even in, in safe environments. Those are all things that are, um, you know, really useful in in um, sublimating these, these kinds of uh, these kinds of things. And and it also helps work through uh, the anger that we have. You know, pushing these things down. Um, you know, that only intensifies. Uh, our anger or shame, and um, you know, we we're not taught how to uh, use these, uh, how to identify our emotions, how to feel. You know, th- this should be, you know, um, really being a human 101. Um, but that's not a part of um, our our social environment. It's not a part of parenting. It's not a part of our schools, and you know that that's really a shame because it's it's these uh, defense mechanisms that really uh, push out any uh, possibility to deal responsibly uh, to the events that we're you know that that are unfolding, uh, whether it's in our personal lives or even on a global scale. Um, you know, it's it's much easier to dissociate and to you know just lose track of of uh what's going on in the world and you know kind of living living your own bubble um but you know that really you know we know that that just 
exacerbates the, the situation even more. And you know, it, it gives and it feeds into this uh entropic dynamic uh of you know the, the, just the type of uh world that we're living in. Um and you know it's just uh it's it's all um things that we're we're born with and we have um and that are being used uh you know against us and I, I think um learning you know more mature because you know, uh, that 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 can help uh move us past these things um you know shane when when you mentioned um uh, this kind of empathy that uh a lot of people are born with or have, I was thinking about how uh it's precisely that uh state of being uh that is you know it's our greatest strength as as humans but it's also our biggest vulnerability if if we are not aware of uh of how it can be a vulnerability um along those lines uh i know gina you um were researching and thinking a little bit about um uh, the empathy trap uh as it's called and uh, how empathic people are natural targets for sociopaths. Um, yeah, I guess the, the first thing I was thinking about was um, how, you know, various societal construct, constructs um, allow for the infantilization of the human being. So basically we stay in this childlike state and are unable to become full adults and um, as we mature and take complete responsibility um, this infantilized state leads to people searching um, continuously for some kind of parent or um, some kind of authority figure um, in which case pathologicals are more than happy to fill that role kind of reminds me of when people are in the midst of, you know, some personal crisis um, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be a, a crisis in the normal sense of the word. It could be a divorce or a move uh, anytime that you're essentially vulnerable um, that you see it so often that that's when, you know, people might be open to new ideas um, yeah, it, it 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 creates this disintegration process, which can be used positively, but it can also be used by by predators if we're not, you know, really aware of um, all the things going on inside of us. And you know, if we don't really know ourselves, it's easy uh, for predators to, um, you know, to fill that 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 void or that that place of searching. Um, to you know where they come in and you know they're the they're the savior and um, they present all these really twisted uh, ideas and essentially feed off of people and their suffering. Absolutely, um, in in so many ways, with you know we're and and it's modeled to us by our own parents um, because they too in many cases are. Um, infantilized adults so the the cycle keeps going and um, it's really 
you know, kind of a sad thing that this happens to to all of us. Um, there was a, a passage from uh, an article that we carried on SOT uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, the title of the article was Empathic People Are Natural Targets for Sociopaths. And, uh, you know, we were just looking at it this morning and afternoon um, and thinking about the, the theme for today. And um, what's interesting is it had to have been one of the highest, um, uh, most acknowledged article that we've ever carried on SOT. It, it was written by uh, Dr. Jane and Tim McGregor, who were authors of a book called The Empathy Trap, Understanding Antisocial Personalities. And um, they, they I, I think one of the reasons why this article uh, has gotten such a following is because people must have recognized the dynamics that are outlined in it and uh, and knowing other people who are victims of similar dynamics said, here, you have to read this. This is this is this describes uh, the situation that you've been in uh, to a T. So uh, here's an excerpt from it. It, it kind of outlines uh, one particular dynamic that the authors were aware of that uh, did tremendous damage on the victim. Uh, at school, James took a dislike to a classmate, Sam, who was sensitive and popular. He would mock him for auditioning for the school play or for getting upset over a failing test. The situation deteriorated when it became known that Sam's parents were separated. Sam appeared to be taking it with fortitude to the admiration of his peers. He also got attention and sympathy from the, from the school staff, especially Jane, his favorite teacher, i.e. the one he manipulated most easily. James decided on a plan of covert bullying. He started a whispering campaign implying that Sam and Paris were not splitting up, that they said they were in order to keep attention. Sadly, this was all too successful, and over the next few days, Sam was met with silence and verbal bullying from the theater two supportive classmates. James continued his campaign, targeting Sam's close friends over the next few days. They found themselves accused of misdemeanors, such as sending offensive emails, texts. Then the favorite teacher went on leave with immediate effect after accusations of assaulting a pupil. Where had the accusations come from? Yes. Uh, this case, as the writers say, show how deliberately sociopaths from a young age can target others, taking advantage of people's credibility and goodwill. James exploited the situation. With a more perceptive head teacher, this sociopath might have been found out, but he knew who to manipulate and how far he could go. So uh, it, it, it's precisely these types of manipulations that uh, empaths or people who would never even uh, imagine uh, doing these types of things to other people um, that's one of their vulnerabilities. They, it, it's not part of their own makeup, so they're not trained. They're not used to seeing and recognizing certain signs, and um, and that, on a kind of very uh, interpersonal level, is uh, can be applied to all sorts of 
uh, different ways that were being manipulated and uh, made prey uh, for uh, manipulators and of all stripes. Um, yeah, and it's really interesting because I, I kind of lump um, empaths in with uh, with most apaths. I, I think that many apaths in different situations are actually empaths that have just kind of been duped. Um, they don't realize what it is that's happened, and you know, that's the kind of working for the enemy in that sense. Um, Can you define apaths? Um, essentially, um, someone who has been fooled by some pathological person um, into doing, you know, their bidding. Um, sometimes you'll have a pathological person basically start a, a campaign, sort of like the the one illustrated in the article. And they'll spread it amongst a few apaths, and um, the apaths basically take it from there. Pathological steps in the background, you don't even see them. It's like they disappear like a ghost. So in in that sense, the, the apaths, you know, can do much of the heavy lifting mm-hmm. or the pathological. And, you know, it works in the pathological's favor, not just because, you know, nobody sees them, but also if, you know, one or two people do see them, then they can um, just easily sidestep, which they hate doing. They like the control, but not the responsibility. So apaths are like the, uh, the authoritarian, most easily honorized, uh, corrupted people who, under uh, different circumstances, uh, might not uh, be instruments of harm or tools of pathological types? Um, I think it's a bit more complex than that. I think that some APAVs, depending upon their own particular level of pathology, um, can be an authoritarian or I think in some cases they might be an empath that just is not realize what it is that's happening around them. Mm-hmm. If they also cannot, you know, believe the level of of, of dishonesty, of, of lies, of, you know, situations that can occur when, when dealing with pathological individuals. So basically, um, yeah, I, I agree with you, uh, Gina. So I, basically what you're describing is like an, an apath, you know, could have the potential uh, for empathy, but it's basically kind of turned off, um, you know, from maybe living in a pathological society or being in, uh, you know, a relationship with a pathological type for a long period, I'm sure it could, you know, could also do some, some damage, some psychological damage. So I guess the question uh, that we want to discuss uh, around this is, you know, how can people, uh, you know, what are the things that we can do to, you know, t- to start to connect with people and to, you know, figure out, uh, you know, what's the, the truth and, and what what are the lies uh, that we're being told. And, you know, because it's such a mess 
Um, you know, it's there's so many, there's so much misinformation out there, um, whether it's relating to the you know political events or even you know even on a, a very basic level of you know just uh, being a, a decent human being. Um, there's there's so much uh, misinformation and noise out there that it, it can it can be hard, I think, to to navigate. You know, to see what is what. Um, so, you know, I think one of the one of the issues or one of the things to you know really look into is you know a lot of the material um, is that's very accessible um, you know, relating to the uh, you know our our cognitive the cognitive sciences and first. You know, coming to a realization that we can't trust our own mind, that our own mind takes us in, you know, all sorts of uh, directions, and you know, it's uh, the the subconscious is you know, just such a, a massive um, part of our behavior that's underneath the surface that really drives our, our every decision, and being able to um, to identify, you know, what is driving us is extremely important because really that's what the, a lot of pathological types use is, you know, they seem to be able to tap into um, these desires that we have, uh, whether it's our the narratives that we tell ourselves or, um, you know, just these, these desires that we have and what we want to see. And, you know, the pathologicals, they can kind of reflect that and uh that's that's one of our vulnerabilities that's where they can get uh their hooks in into us and kind of be able to steer us in the directions that that they'd like us to go in and being able to really you know dissect our minds uh it's 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 not an easy process for sure and it's not a comfortable one but um once you start to see examples in yourself of Basically, you know the the lies that we tell ourselves, the the fantasy and the illusions that we live in. Um, then I think you know it can become, uh, uh, and once you break through that initially, that possibility can become stronger the more you do it. Um, but I think this is also where uh, a community you know really comes in um, because it's hard you know, to do that on your own. Uh, almost, it could almost be impossible, and that's really what you see uh, pathological types of doing is isolating uh, people from each other and driving communities apart. Um, and it, that's it's that it's that isolation and that separation from each other that uh, allows them to maneuver, uh, you know, how, however they do. And um, so the the community part and being able to connect connect with uh with other people and um <clears throat> help us to see ourselves through other people's eyes um you know that that can be uh you know a really remarkable way to for this uh, uh to grow this um psychological protection and um yeah i think it's just you know it's it's an essential part really Absolutely. I mean, the, the isolation um, factor is definitely one of um, primary 
ways of, of you know, um, destroying relationships. They, and I, I think that's actually the, the true meaning of the word antisocial is um, when relating to pathologicals, not, you know, so much that they like to stay by themselves or that they're loners, but um, that they separate people out from each other. Um, and then, you know, the, the results of that are then people who are separated from each other then become the loners or, um, you know, isolate themselves due to being, you know, traumatized um, through pathology. But, yeah, definitely going back to the knowing oneself and um, accepting, you know, the very difficult idea that one can't trust their own thoughts um, in addition to realizing that one can be duped. Um, and no one likes to accept that about themselves. It is, you know, you feel foolish um, and, you know, possibly ashamed, but it it is something, one of the, the major considerations that one has to take, I think, when um, when beginning to, to really look, take a closer look at um, pathology, if you're engaging with it. I think that's what keeps most people tied to pathology is, is you know, somewhere, even if the, the thought is not conscious to them, they really do think that, you know, I've got a handle on this um, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to make this work. Well, one word that, that's come up a few times in this discussion is responsibility. And, uh, you know, what does it mean to be responsible? Um, I think you, you touched on it, Gina, when you, you know, mentioned you know, being honest with yourself about uh, being duped, for instance, or uh, or facing uh, your own vulnerabilities, or 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 feeling fooled. I mean, uh, the thing about all of this is that, um, in one sense, these are these are ideas in a page, they're words uh, on a radio show, but they have substance. There's uh, there's something very real. Uh, that has to be acknowledged about all of this that all too often doesn't get acknowledged or considered or thought about until you're suffering from it or until after you've suffered from it and, and are kind of forced to come to terms with what the truth of it is. Um, but it's really valuable information and a great deal of, of this is, uh, is knowing yourself. Uh, it's, it's not all about projecting or labeling um, all of the, the dangers outside of you in the form of psychopaths and, and, uh, and manipulative individuals. But uh, part of the whole picture is in seeing, really seeing, uh, where your own uh, blind spots are. And as you were saying before, Shane, you know, reaching out to a community of, of people or people you trust who, who can communicate openly and honestly about um, what it is you may or may not be seeing. The, um, I think maybe we could also cover a couple of different uh, books that might be helpful because there is, you know, especially I think when it comes to uh, the topic of pathology and uh, psychopathy, 
there is a lot, like I was saying earlier, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And it's really important to have a, a thorough and an accurate understanding of, of um, you know, these types of people um, to be able to, you know, provide some protection. And there, since there is so much distortion, uh, something might cover just a couple of uh, the uh, books that that have been explored, uh, probably brought up on the show before. Um, but as far as psychopathy goes, um, there's Without Conscience by uh, Dr. Hare. And, you know, that's kind of, he's he's the one of the uh, premier experts in psychopathy. And that's kind of that's a good uh, intro to the topic. Uh, same with uh, Martha Stout's uh, The Sociopath Next Door. Um, you know that that's a, a very easy and simple read, and even though she uses the word sociopath, it can uh, it's it, what she's describing is more along the lines of uh, psychopathy. Um, some others would be uh, George Simon's uh, character disturbed, um, and he also had um, again sheep's clothing, but uh, character disturbed. Uh, I think goes more into uh, the, um, the types of personalities uh, that, that you can find that you know, are malicious. And, um, and um, political ponderology. Yeah, when you yeah, can't forget political ponderology, that's, you know, that, that's so essential for when you're looking at this at a, either, either from a group level but uh, most importantly, you know, at a, at a social level. And I think that kind of brings in uh, the idea that, you know, when we are um, learning about ourselves and, um, you know, growing this, uh, this awareness about uh, our reality, that really does need to include uh, the, the world around us. And um, political morality, you know, it, it looks at this, um, macro social corruption uh, that emanates from these pathological types, and you know it goes in. It's it's uh, if if any of our listeners haven't picked up that book, um, please do. Uh, that's it, it was definitely you know, it, in the in the intro um, or the uh, yeah I think in the intro it, it's it's a you know this is one of the most, it says this is one of the most important books you'll ever read. And I, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, it really lays out, um, in, in detail and in describing the tools that these, uh, types of, um, individuals, creatures, whatever you want to call them, use, uh, to manipulate people, and um, yeah, I really can't say enough good things about about that book. Um, yeah, I, I thought I would just add to this whole mix uh, the idea of transmarginal inhibition. Um, it's a uh, it's an idea that's been presented in a number of thought articles uh, to suggest how. Uh, human beings who might otherwise be empathic or uh, or apaths who might otherwise display more uh, empathic uh, qualities uh, get uh, broken um, for health reasons. 
Um, Wikipedia has this description of it. Uh, Ivan Pavlov, if you remember Pavlov's dog, uh, in that experiment, enumerated details of TMI on his work of conditioning animals to pain. He found that organisms had different levels of tolerance. He commented that, quote, the most basic inherited difference among people was how soon they reached this, this shutdown point and that the quick to shut down have a fundamentally different type of nervous system, end quote. Patients who have reached this shutdown point often become socially dysfunctional or develop one of several personality disorders. Often patients who dissociate during and after the experience will more easily dissociate or shut down during stressful or painful experiences and may experience post-traumatic stress disorder for the remainder of their lives. Um, and he describes the three stages passed through for a state of uh, transmarginal inhibition to be reached. He says there is an equivalent phase when the response matches the stimuli, which is considered the normal baseline behavior. The second is the paradoxical phase, associated with quantity reversal, occurs when small stimuli receive major response and major stimuli elicit small responses. And the ultra-paradoxical, the final stage, associated with quality reversal in which negative stimulation results in positive responses and vice versa. Well, I, the takeaway uh, with trans-marginal inhibition is that uh, if we're not really paying attention to uh, all the things that are... Uh, fellow colleagues in Health and Wellness Show are talking about um, in order to keep our health uh, and, and state of mind uh, balanced, uh, but also if we're not really paying attention to the effects that pathological people are uh, having on us, uh, it can break us down. Uh, we could be um, shut down to such a degree that we're basically not functioning to the degree that we can. And uh, we're not only talking about, here on the truth perspective, uh, uh, kind of defending ourselves, but we also want to thrive. We also want to uh, give accurate responses to, um, to people who are uh, trying to hurt us. Uh, we want to see things as they are. We want to engage in reality and not uh, live in a bubble of, of perceived uh, protection because that doesn't really exist. We're going to be touched by it one way or the other. Um, so like you were sort of getting at before, Shane, uh, you know, all of, all of learning about how to do this is it's kind of a muscle. Uh, it's a muscle of willpower, it's applying knowledge and awareness to certain situations and to people, and uh, you, you can only get better at it, even if it's difficult and challenging at times, if you uh, find the correct ways to respond and engage, and, and that may not always mean confronting the person uh, or situation directly or head on, it, it might mean something completely different. Uh, every situation is different, um, but uh, putting a commensurate amount of energy um, and thought and consideration 
and networking into um, answering it in, a, in, in the way that it can be answered is, is what we're going for. Yeah, one of the, when you were talking about, you know, not necessarily, you know, engaging with a pathological person, you know, that that's, um, I think it's an important thing to, you know, maybe discuss a little bit because uh, it is really easy to get sucked into um, these types of dramas and you know, that is really what they what they live off of is, is this drama uh, that they create and um one of the one of the principles uh one of the principles is you know that is discussed in 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 relation to uh dealing with pathological types is not to engage directly um especially after you find out and you know come to realize who they are um it's kind of like staring at the, you know, you don't want to look at the uh, Medusa, you know, turn to stone. Uh, they have a, a certain poison or toxicity that, like, is 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 in them, and it's really easy to absorb some of that when um, when you are kind of basically trying to address them uh, or confront them, um, you know, one-on-one especially. So, um, And, and in think, addition to that, I would just say that um, another reason that you do not want to engage is because um, then you're going to face retaliation. It's not even a matter of if, it's just when. And um, depending on the particular pathological you're dealing with, it can be a, you know, they can get try to get back at you one time or they can keep going um, and, you know, indefinitely, depending on how well you know them or, you know, what kind of relationship you have with them. Um, so if not for your, you know, for any other reason than your own protection, um, that would be one reason to to not engage. Um, or, you know, if, if you and engage can even just be as simple as letting them know that you know they're pathological. It can it can just be that basic. Um, yeah, that that can cause a whole world of trouble. Well, on that point, folks, I think we're gonna bring this week's truth perspective to a close. Uh, we think. We thank all our listeners today. We thank our callers, Emma and Jonathan, for uh, for their insights. Uh, we thank our chatters. Uh, don't forget to tune in tomorrow uh, to Behind the Headlines, next Friday, the Health and Wellness Show on our SOC Blog Talk Radio Network. And uh, until next week, take care and keep on keeping on. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.